Welcome to Roots Radio, weekly high school Bible studies located at Calvary Chapel, San Juan Capistrano. Second Corinthians chapter 9. Let's pray. Well, let's read a couple of verses and then we'll pray. Verse 1. Now concerning the ministry of the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. Everyone say superfluous. Superfluous. One more time, in the Greek, superfluous, superfluous, very good. For I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians that Achaia was ready a year ago, and now your zeal has stirred up the majority. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this respect, that as I said, you may be ready. Lest if some Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of of this confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation." Amen. Ministers, right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word tonight. Jesus, we pray as we look at um, giving and tithing and, Lord, just how your attitude is towards giving and, Lord, what your intention is in, in blessing us is and, and what and how we are to use what you've given us for your kingdom, for your glory. And so, God, we ask that you bless this time. Lord, speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Those are some interesting verses, verses one through five, just kind of a summary of what Paul's talking about. There's a lot of sarcasm. Paul, I believe, was very sarcastic. How many of you are sarcastic? Yeah, you are. You're in high school. Many of you are sarcastic in your humor. You love sarcastic humor. How many of you think it's so funny? Like, it's hilarious. But um, Paul's talking in a somewhat sarcastic manner, saying, now, concerning the ministry of the saints... It is superfluous for me to write to you. He's talking about giving in, in chapter 8. Excel in giving and tithing and what that's all about. And Jake talked about that last week. And just what it is to, to give to the Lord. Why we give to the Lord. And some of the Corinthians were having a problem with, with this area. And a lot of people have the problem with giving when it comes to money. How many of you, when you get your money, you save it? And you like hold on to it with such such vice gorilla grip that no one is coming between you and your cash. Like you have it, you lock it down. Like if you're gonna spend it, it's gonna be on something that you've had your eye on for months, years. And the reason I know so much about this is I am that way in the sense that if I have my eye on something, I don't wait. I will collect it and I will go and I will purchase that exact thing that I want. Like the exact, if they don't have exactly what I want, I am walking out of the store and I'm kicking the dust off of my feet like a dog that just, and I am walking out. We, we are so weird when it comes to money. And just coming back off, off of the mission field, being in Guatemala, money is so, it's such a weird thing. And when we're here, it seems like money is all around us. We don't really notice it. And when you experience that kind of poverty, a a poverty on a level that we do not see unless you actually go out and find it. 
in Orange County, it's very hard to find that type of poverty where people are, are living in a trash heap. We went to a dump and that's where these people live. They live in a dump and they use whatever they can find in the dump to make their home. And that's where they live. In fact, these people were living on top of the trash heap and they, they had collected things and made their little shelter and they lived on top of the dump, this 28-year-old dump that had been there just about as long as I'm, I've been alive. They have been pushing trash upon trash, and that's where people live. And a week, a week ago, they had pulled everyone out of the dump and, so, and told them, you got to move out into the outskirts. We can't have you inside. And the next day, the trash heap, there, a sinkhole happened, and it collapsed. All the garbage that they had been living on top of sunk underneath them. There's this huge crater where everything was. And no one got hurt. No one died. But as we're walking through this area, you're, you cannot help but be hit or impacted with that scene of poverty. And it does something to you when you come back to America or you come back to California. We have so much. Now, we can come back with this attitude of like, oh, we don't, oh, stinking Americans, and we're so blessed, and kind of get bitter and, and begrudging and, at, at what we have. But listen, let me ask you a question. Is money bad? Is money good? Yeah, I don't know. Is money good? No, money is actually immoral, meaning that it's not bad or good. Morality comes into play by what you do with that money that you have. Money by itself is neither good nor bad. But money is in, in the hand of a person. What you do with it becomes either good or evil. You can do a lot of good with money. You can do a lot of evil with money. And so we have this idea, I believe, sometimes that having money is wrong. Well, having money is not wrong. It's what we do with what we've been blessed with, what we do with what God has given us, that could be either right or wrong. And God has blessed us here in the States, in California, where you live, in one of the wealthiest communities in America. It's beautiful, and we are so blessed. God has not blessed us with that so that we might hoard it and keep it to ourselves. But in fact, to be good stewards of what God has given us. That God has blessed you, not just simply to bless you, but that you might, through the blessing that God has given you, bless others that you might minister to people in what God has given you. So money in, it, in itself is not bad. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. In 1 Timothy, he tells us that. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Timothy says that money... The love of it becomes the root of all different types of evils. That the love and the, the, the um, allowing of the, what's the word I'm looking for? Where it consumes your every thought. Where we see money as a way out and a deliverer other than God. It can become something that we so eagerly and passionately pursue that it becomes our own God. It becomes something that we rely on. And it's really interesting that money, although it does help, it's not wrong to have, money can become a trap. It can become a trap where we are so consumed with the pursuit of it. it and the funny thing about money is it promises contentment and peace. Have you ever thought that? If I just had enough money, then I would be fine. 
all of my worries and my stresses would then disappear. I wouldn't have to worry about finances. If I just had enough, everything would just kind of go smoothly. Everything would just run as it is. But here's the funny thing that happens, that money promises contentment and peace. It can bring about security. But only then to cause us to be so stressed out about losing it, it becomes such a weight and such a stress that one, that thing that we thought would bring us such comfort and such joy actually becomes this trap that we're in. Someone asked Bill Gates, like, when will you have enough money? When, when will it be enough? And his answer, I thought was so profound, he says, just one more dollar. One more dollar. Meaning, it's not going to be enough. One more dollar, one more thing, one more. That's the trap of money. Although we may have enough or whatever, the the pursuit of it, the, the, the temptation of more is something that follows with it. And it's something that we as believers, non believers, everyone can fall into this type of trap the trap of money. And so Paul is talking about money in this way and giving of what we have. He says, now concerning the ministry of the saints, he's pulling together this fund to then send on to Jerusalem for the saints that were suffering there. And he, he uses this word superfluous, which I love this word superfluous. How many of you love this word? I'm excited about it. When I, I underlined it in my Bible, don't judge. Superfluous, meaning it's, it's almost pointless. It's meaningless. Paul says, it's meaningless for me to write this to you. I, I don't need to write this to you because you know He's kind of got this little sarcastic wave running through this whole thing. The collection that they had to send out to, the, to relieve the Jerusalem saints, it was, he says, it's pointless for me to write to you because you know the need that's there. You know what this is going towards. You know what we're raising money for. And he says, I'm done trying to persuade you to give. I'm done trying to make my case to give. What Paul is saying is, I'm tired of trying to get you to the point where you are going to give of what you have. That every time we have a sign up, every time that we have a thing to give to this thing or, or to serve here, he says, I'm tired of trying to persuade you to get your butt in gear and do something. Whew. Little Apostle Paul getting gnarly. With Christians. And isn't it true? I know I fall into this category. Anytime there's an opportunity to serve, as my dad would call it, OTS, we shriek back and hide in the shadows, lest our hand be raised or someone volunteer our table at camp. You're, I love that. That is the most, like, some kids, are, who would like to do KP? And some weird kid at your table raised your hand. Everyone's like, oh! You idiot! Oh, you're the worst kid in the world! Man! Serve tables. Pfft. Means I don't go to the snack bars fast. Or whatever. We have this mentality. Anytime there's a missions trip or, or a chance to serve Jesus or give of what we have. A lot of times we can hide back, but when there's an opportunity for free food, man, our hands are up. We are ready. Whatever you need. What Paul is saying here is, I am tired of trying to persuade you. 
In the previous chapter, I've, I have given you a list of things of why you should give, on how you should give. We should excel in our giving. Why? Because we have been given so much. We have been given so much. Not in the monetary sense, but in the mercy and grace of God in that sense. That the mercy and grace of God should cause us to be generous. A people that are generous. So I've already told you how great and generous you are. He's using, I've already told the Macedonians how generous you are. And it would be embarrassing if they show up and you haven't got your offering together. He's trying to get them to a point where they are already giving because Paul also didn't want them to give out of any other impulse than the Lord. He didn't want them to give out of some guilty conscience. He didn't want them to give of money or anything to the church because they felt like they had to, because they felt like they would have salvation based upon their gift, based upon the position that they would have in the church. It was basic, based upon their love and their generosity because of the goodness of God has shown them. So Paul didn't want to play on their heartstrings. He didn't want this song, all right, we're going to lower the lights. And we're going to play that slow song one more time. I know there's some out there who haven't put anything in the plate yet. And so we're going to do it again. Paul didn't want to use his person or his reputation to cause people to give more. He was just there saying, hey, I'm writing to you, so get it ready. So that when I show up, you're giving out of a place that God is honored from. Out of just simply a generous heart that God has given you. A place in which God has changed you. And because he has changed you, you then feel this generosity welling up within you that how could I not give of my time? How could I not give of service to the Lord? And a lot of you are like, well, I don't even have a job. How can I tithe or whatever? If you have a job, great, tithe. If you don't have a job, make your parents tithe. I don't know. Here's, <laughs> this is the hard part. But tithing sometimes, can, if we don't have money, if you're like, I don't have any money, why not serve the Lord with your time? Serve God. Give of your time. Not begrudgingly, like, now I have to serve in children's ministry because Pastor Andrew's all guilt tripping me. That's not what this is about. Giving it to God or tithing of our money or giving to the Lord should never be of a place of, grudging obligation and the reason being is that God desires remember our title of our message tonight is that we would give like God gives listen God never ever gives to us grudgingly or out of obligation God did not send his son out of obligation God did not have to save you God did not have to send his son to die for you we very much earned that death ourselves. We very much were guilty of sin, therefore deserving of death. But God gave generously out of his own, not begrudgingly, not out of obligation, but out of love and generosity. And God continues to pour out on us blessing after blessing, not because he's obligated to, but because he desires to. I have two kids, and I love those kids, and I, I like to buy them stuff. We were in Guatemala, and I think Lauren bought all of Guatemala. 
to bring to our kids. I mean, every day we go out and she's like, look, Molly got a new dress and she got some shoes. She's wearing her shoes tonight. They're so cute. But I was like, where'd all her money go? Anyway, it's cool, man. They need it more than we do. It's fine if they rip us off every time we go to buy something. But seriously, it's like, how much? $100. And you're like, what? And you're like, how about 10 Okay, 10. You're like, wow, that was easy. <laughs> Every time, you just cut them in half. 100 quetzales. I'll give you 50. Okay, 75. And then you like walk away. Okay, 50. And you keep walking. Okay, 40. Whatever. Come back. Doesn't matter. I don't even know what we're talking about. Okay. God wants us to give generously. Generously. Paul says here, listen, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. If that's the way that you give to the Lord out of grudging obligation, listen, you have fallen into religiosity. That you then serve God based upon this obligation that you feel that you are saved based upon how you serve. That's religion. Or earning God's love based upon how much you do. That's religion. It's lame and awful and it will cause you to be bitter and annoyed. But when you serve out of a heart that is generous, understanding that God has saved you and because he has saved you, what else could we possibly do but serve him? When you're serving from that place of just, Lord, I just want to bless you and I want to bless your people, that is the heart that God desires. A generous heart, not a heart that is grudging, oblig- just feels obligated. Do you guys know what obligated means? Obligatory? It's just a fancy way of saying obligation. It means that you have to. Some of you are obligated to be at church tonight, and you're like, whatever. Um, I used to have to go to, my church, to go to church. My parents made me go. My dad did that whole thing like, you live in my house, it's my rules, and so you're going to go to church 18 times a week. I mean, it felt like we were always there. And then he would talk forever, like, can we just go? I want to eat lunch. How many of you are in that place? You're like, we've been here for all five services. I've heard the same sermon six times. Let's go. I want to go. Three, oh, Ruby's is waiting. We all have those times. But what God wants is for us to give like he gives, and he never gives grudgingly or out of obligation. He wants us to be generous in the biblical sense. And with the biblical sense of generosity, it has more to do with the attitude than the amount. It has more to do with your attitude than it has to do with how much you're giving. God could care less at how much you give. Does God need your money? No. No, he does not. Any preacher that says, put your hand on the TV screen right now, and I feel there's someone here that wants to give me $10,000. That is not me. I don't want to give you any money. <laughs> that, that is not the, listen, God does not need your money. God does not need my money. I don't even have any, so that's cool. God does not need our money. But what God calls us to do is give that the furtherance of the gospel might go out through the medium of the church. That we might be taught making disciples and those disciples going out into the world. But the reason we do it is not because of some obligatory thing. We do it out of an attitude of gratitude. It rhymes. 
Because we are thankful. And what we see is in Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Everyone turn to Mark chapter 12, verse 41. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark chapter 12, verse 41. And the context of it is interesting. You can read it on your own. But verse 41, it says, Now Jesus sat opposite that treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrants. I don't even know what that is. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty. But in all that she had, her whole livelihood. In the temple, there would have been boxes everywhere in different parts of the temple. I think there were 12 or 13 different boxes where you could deposit your money towards the temple. And that money would go towards this and that would go towards that. Well, she comes into the temple and Jesus is watching this all go on. And people would come in and what they would do is hold their money up really high and drop it in. As to make a louder clanking sound. Like, like, that was a lot of money. Everyone would hear how much they dropped in. And, and Jesus is watching the, the wealthier people come in and they begin to give out of their abundance and they have a lot, so they start to give. And, and Jesus watches this poor little widow who has two mites. And what two mites are, are like, just like it sounds, two mice. Two little, little, just dinky, we have these Guatemalan money in, that we brought back, guess how much it's worth in the, in the States? Nothing. It is worth absolutely nothing. It is pointless. Last year I had pesos when I came back, and it was like, that was even worse. It's not worth anything at all. But my kids are like, it's treasures. <laughs> We're rich as they dump it all over themselves. It's not worth anything. That's what she has. She has two little itty-bitty coins. And she drops it in, and Jesus says, that was all that she had. Now, we can make the application that when you come to the Lord, you give all that you got. Cool. Totally agree. You give everything you got to Jesus. But what I do see here is that when she gave, she was not giving out of what she had, this abundance she gives a little bit. This is what she has. And out of what she has, she then deposits it. And Jesus looks at that and says, she trusts me. She trusts me with her livelihood because all that she had, she just gave to me and she is trusting that I'm gonna take care of her. And the attitude that she had was not one of just like, well, this is my obligation because I have so much, I gotta pay my 10%. This is, I wanna give this to the Lord because I trust that he's gonna bless me as I give to him. Bless me as I give to him. She gave out of her poverty. It shows trust in God. That even in her poverty, in the monetary sense, she trusted that God would bless her. I want you to look at something real quick. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9.
verse Thessalonians chapter four, verse nine. It says, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse nine, talks about the love in which God has given us in the way that God has been generous to us. He says, first of all, that we are taught by God what love is. He says, I don't need to write to you what love is. You know already what love is because the gospel teaches us what love is. Brotherly love. Look at what it says here. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. He begins to talk about this idea of brotherly love which is the word Philadelphia. It is the word Philadelphia, not Philadelphia, like a fella. Hey, fella. It's Philadelphia, which is the word for brotherly love, meaning like how you love family. Let's talk about the different kinds of love that we have. How many of you love pizza? It's a different kind of love than I love my mom. There's a different kind of love, right? But we have one word for love. There are different types of love. In the gospel, what he's saying here is we are taught what love is, this agape self-denial love in Scripture by God. The gospel teaches us what love is. What is the gospel? What verse is the gospel? If you had one verse to tell, John 3, 16. For God so that he Oh. For God so loved that he gave. The gospel teaches us what love is. And out of love comes a giving to the Lord. We have lots of different loves. There's brotherly love. There's, there's romantic love. There's, there's family love. There's baby love. There's like a different love for babies. Just, they're so fat and squishy. But that's not how you feel about your girlfriend. You're like, oh, she's so squishy. That's not how you feel. Paul says to the Thessalonians, concerning your love, God has taught you what love is. That agape love, that word love, or the taught by God to love one another, that love is the word agape, which is a self-denial type of love. It's a self-sacrificial type of love. That is the love that we are taught through the gospel message, that God so loved, that type of love is a love that gives. It's a supernatural love. And, and what Paul is saying is the gospel that, that we have learned and what we know of God's love, that love should cause us to be generous, not only with the gospel itself, but generous in what God has given to us, which is our possessions, what we have our monetary blessings as well. And it should be out of love for the Lord. It should be out of a place, and when we serve God, it should be out of a place of love, not out of obligation. Because the motive, if it is out of obligation, then it's a wrong motive. And a lot of times it's with the intention of feeling that we have earned the love of God, which is also wrong. You cannot earn the love of God. God already loves you as much as he'll ever love you. He doesn't love you less when you're bad. It's not like Santa. I don't know why I just thought of Santa. 
But that's not the case. God loves you with an everlasting love. It does not change. It doesn't fluctuate. It doesn't go up and down. Therefore, because God loves you with an everlasting love, he loves you more than you think and loves you regardless of who you are and what you've done. He already loves you. You cannot earn it. Therefore, our service comes out of response to the love of God. And our giving comes out of a response to the love of God. And knowing that there is a blessing in giving to the Lord. You look at the, the, the story of the feeding of the 5,000. This kid is forever in scripture because his mama packed him a lunch. If your mom packs you a lunch, say thank you. Gracias, mommy. Because that mom packed her kid a lunch, and that kid used that lunch to bless thousands of people. Well, Jesus did, but he was part of it. Here's the thing. He took what he had and wasn't like, well, I only got two, therefore I'm gonna hold on to this because I'm really hungry, and all these people, is not even gonna work. He took what he had, and he gives it to the Lord, and he watched God not just take it and be like, thanks, now you're hungry, sucker. He, he then multiplies it even more. And that kid, I'm sure, ate better than any day out of his life. He ate better that day than he had eaten in a long time. More than, more than the fish that he had, more than the loaves that he had, he ate till his stomach hurt. He understood, and what I think we should understand is that when you give to the Lord, either for your talent or your time or your money, God's gonna bless you. God will bless you. And although we may think like, oh man, I just lost a bunch of cash. The thing that I want, watch God bless you when you do it in a motive that is unto him. A motivation that is, is from love. Turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter nine. Look what he says in verse six. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. He gives him a farming analogy. He says, if you look at a farmer who's like, I don't want to waste these seeds. And so he just plants one seed at a time. He's I'm saving these. As opposed to the farmer that says, I'm just going to plant as many stinking seeds as I can. And why I'm just, I'm going to give it all. And watch what happens. He says, those that, that sparingly plant, guess what? Their crop is pretty small. But the, the farmer that just blasts the ground with seed says, and he has none left, he has a bountiful harvest. I think the point that Paul is making is when we give to the Lord, know that God does not ever let those things go unseen or unused. Where God isn't like, I'll catch you later. Like, I'll, I'll pay, I owe you. It is the blessing that God, when you give to the Lord bountifully, you also sow bountifully. Now, this is not a get-rich-quick scheme, okay? That's not what I'm saying. That if you, like, give the Lord 100 bucks, he's going to give you 1,000 in return. That's not what I'm saying at all. So if you're like, God's like a genie. That's not, he's like, he's like a weird vending machine. I put money in and all this stuff comes out. That's not what we're saying. As opposed to monetary blessing, but also spiritual blessing. How many of you heard that term? It's better to give than to receive. And you're like, yeah, right, <laughs> Well, stupid. That's just to get people to give you stuff. That's how that works. It really is such a blessing to give. 
You know, when you go on like missions trips, it's funny, we're like, we're going to serve, we just want to bless these people. And what happens is you get blessed in return. Because what happens is your eyes are no longer focused on you, which makes you miserable. It puts them on other people, which then blesses you. There's nothing more miserable, or there's no one more miserable, shall I say, than someone who is selfish. Selfish. There is nothing more dissatisfying or miserable than living for yourself. And it's only when you realize that you've been so inwardly focused, and that's why you're depressed, and that's why you're so bummed out, that you then go, man, I need to serve somebody. My mom used to say it all the time. I was like, I'm so bummed. She'd go serve somebody. Get your eyes off yourself, you little kook. And that's truly what it is. It's when we become so, like, self-pitying and so self-aware and so self-focused that we are miserable. It's when we give of what we have and we give of, of what God has given us that we're blessed in return. He says, let each of you give as he had purposed in his own heart, not grudgingly or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves someone who gives, or God enjoys someone who gives out of a heart that gives cheerfully, excited. If you're not going to give cheerfully, you're not going to serve cheerfully, then just stay home. Just stay home. If you're going to sign up for something because you feel guilt-tripped into it, don't. If you're going to put something in the tithe box because you feel guilty, please keep your money. Keep it. God doesn't need it. God's not going broke where he's like, man, I'm trying to pave these gold streets for years. We're just running out of cash. That's not what it is. The Bible tells us that all the gold, all the silver belongs to him. God does not need your money. God doesn't need it. And when you give to the Lord in some begrudging, religious way, that is not something that blesses the Lord. He desires it to be out of a cheerful heart. Verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. Look at all of those words. God is able to make all abound, having all sufficiency, and having an abundance. If you have a pen, underline those words. Those are big adjectives or adverbs. They're descriptive words. They talk about you having a lot, a lot. Again, this is not a get-rich-quick scheme. God is able to make all grace abound, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Paul doesn't say that you might have all the money that you need so that you can just sit pretty he says that you might have all that you need in the grace of God that you might be ready to then serve God's people. That you might be a tool in the hand of the Lord. That you might be used by the Lord. That you might be ready for every good work. And let me just say this. The Bible talks about money a lot. The Bible talks about money quite a bit. And one of the things that Jesus said about money, he says it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And you're like, that's a, that's, that's a heavy statement. Why? You know what, you know, the eye of a needle, some have said like, the eye of the needle is actually a gate. Um, there's this gate in the, and there's called the, the 
the eye of the gate, and the camel couldn't get through. You'd have to like squat down. The rider would have to get off to go in and all of that. But if you look at it from the sense of an eye of a needle, that when someone is sewing, the camel, have you seen a camel? They're like quite large, um, and they spit. You know, and to get them through that or even to get them into this, this room tonight would be incredibly difficult. He says, it is easier, maybe not. It is easier, maybe not this room, hobbit hole. There we go. Easier for a camel to make it through the gate than it is for a rich man to enter into heaven. Why? Riches, riches mess you up. It's the root of all kinds of evil. And not only that, it's one of the biggest distractions in the world. Granted, having money is not bad. If you live in a house, you're not like, we're in sin, we're going to move out in the backyard, live in a tent. That's Okay. It's what you do with what God has given you. And what's really amazing is America, we are an affluent society. We have a lot. And have you noticed that revival is breaking out in so many impoverished places? That people in other cultures, they have such faith, like faith that like I don't have. Because all of their resources monetarily are somewhat gone. They are trusting in Jesus. I believe that's what Jesus is saying here. Money and affluence like that can cloud our dependence and our reliance upon the Lord. I forget who it was, but I think someone said at one time that wealth never saved anybody. Wealth never saved anybody. Meaning that riches never saved anyone in the sense that because someone was somewhat, all of a sudden all this money came their way, that brought them to the feet of Jesus. What brought people or what brings people to the feet of Jesus is the recognition of need. The recognition of need. A lot of times when we're at our wit's end and the end of our rope, that is when we realize how much we need God, how big God is, and how teeny, tiny, and small we are. God is big, man. He's a big dude, and we are small. And because, because God loves us so much and has been so generous to us, should we not also give from a generous heart? That is the motivation in which we should give from. That is the motivation in which we should serve from is the grace and mercy of God. The cross of Christ should cause us to not only give of what God has blessed us with, but to serve God because of how much he's blessed us. Right? Does that make sense? Now, if tithing goes up this week, praise Jesus. But listen, this is not some guilt trip for you. Don't feel as though you are obligated to give to God. You are. You owe him your whole stinking life. But that does not mean or not the place in which we should, like, fear of, like, well, if I don't give, man, God's going to squish me because he needs that 20 bucks. We should give out of a place of joy. What brings you more joy than anything in the world? Don't answer that question. But what should bring you joy is the gift of salvation. How many of you love gifts? Everybody loves presents. Don't, e- don't even. Like, no, I just like to give. Shut up. Everyone <laughs> likes presents. 
You lie like a dog. We all love presents. I, every year on my birthday, I'm like, I'm so excited to open gifts because it only comes around once a year. My wedding anniversary, um, my birthday and Christmas are all in the same stinking month. December is present month for me. I don't get it the rest of the year. That's why I buy myself stuff. Father's Day, I had to have kids in order to get presents in the middle of the year or buy myself a gift on my wife's birthday. But here's the thing. Everybody loves gifts. The greatest gift we have ever been given is the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life, that you don't have to spend the rest of eternity in hell on fire. <laughs> yeah, we get to go to heaven. That is the greatest gift you've been ever given by God. And that should be the motivator in which we give and serve the Lord because God has been so good to us. Does that make sense? If any of that was heresy, I apologize. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. God, we thank you to be in this place. Thank you for providing this room for us. And even though the paperwork wasn't filled out and Janet just happened to be here to open the room for us, Lord, thank you so much for your continued provision over us. And God, you really have given us so much. And Lord, you have blessed us, not just to bless us, that we'd hoard it all and hide it all, but Lord, that we might give out from what you've given to us and bless others from what you've given us. And so, Lord, help remind us of that tonight. Lord, if, we're, if we are selfish with what you've given us, if we hold back and, and, and seek to create our own little kingdom unto ourselves, Lord, convict our hearts of it. And we might give to you cheerfully, not out of obligation, but because we love you so much. So, Lord, we love you tonight. We thank you um, for um, all that you do for us. Jesus, there's so many things that we go about each day not, not thanking you for and not realizing that you've blessed us with. So, Lord, we just want to take this, this time just to thank you. God, you're so good, and we are so undeserving uh, of all that we have. But, Jesus, you have blessed us. And, and uh, so, Lord, we thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you.